When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Soft Rep Radio. I am your host, Rad, and I have a very special guest with me. But first, as I must mention, we have a merch store, softrep.com. Go check out the merch store. Go pick up some cool gadgets. We got torches on there with 2000 lumens, which is a flashlight. We've got like first aid kits, all sorts of shirts. Go check it out. And I also want to recommend our book club, which is softrep.com forward slash book hyphen club. Go check that out, read a book, gain some mental knowledge, and then let's talk about it somewhere on the internet, okay? But without further ado, I have Dean Stott, former SBS, which is Special Boat Service, not to be confused with Special Air Service. Yeah, that's right. right. That yeah, is correct. Right, yeah, right? very correct. Yeah. But also, extreme athlete, father, husband, someone who misses his family when he has to deploy and has to write letters or thinks about them. You know, this is somebody who's living a life among us, probably teaches soccer to his kids and next to your kids. You know, these are folks that just go above and beyond the athletic spectrum, right? Extreme athletes like Olympians. And and Dean, you fall into that. I know you know that. Yeah. Yeah. Purely by accident. Yeah. But it was. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, it is true. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one of the things that I've investigated, you know, through getting ready to talk with you is that you did a 14,000 mile trek all the way to Alaska from Timbuktu. Holy cow. Yeah, the, bottom of, yeah, the bottom of Argentina, yeah, the southern tip of Argentina to northern Alaska. It's the world's, it's the world's longest road. Runs, as you touched on, 14,000 miles or 22,000 kilometers, depending where your listeners come from. But yeah, it was a world record attempt. And I'd never cycled more than 20 miles before I applied for the world record. And so just sort of decided, no, I wanted to test myself. I always wanted to do a world record. And you know, as a young boy, I used to read the Guinness Book of Records. But uh, unfortunately, I had a parachute injury, which shortened my career in the special boat service. I did 16 years and had to leave. And so the wheel record had to be a challenge or it had to be a sport that wasn't going to be hampering my knee. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, my wife then <laughs> found the world's longest road. I'd only cycled 20 miles. I, uh, at the age of 40, I applied for the wheel record. 
And six weeks later, Guinness said, yes, you've been successful on your, on your application. What year was and that so, that you went through with that? So that was, I applied for the world record in 2016 and I set off, it was 1st of February, 2018. So only, only five years ago yeah. from now. So congratulations on getting that yeah. world record achievement. It's not like you're just yeah. stacking pennies in a minute. Okay. Like who can stack the most pennies in a minute? You know, it's like you're putting your body. You're like, you're saying, I just Mm want to make sure I'm not going to hamper my knee. Right. Everything else seems to be good on you. You know, funny. You said you were jumping out of an airplane when that happened. Yeah. My dad being a former SF guy, Green Beret, they dropped Mm -hmm. him on a night jump out here in Utah, but his whole team got hurt when they were above the mountain, but the, it was a night jump and they couldn't see the mountain below him, but the elevation was at static line. Yeah. So the elevation. Yeah. yeah, so it dropped him on the mountain in a pelvises, yeah. broken uh, er- things. My dad got head injuries, you know, a oh, whole really? team just in training. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, I was very fortunate when I joined the uh, the SBS. It was the busiest time in UK SF history. You know, we were at the SAS were in uh, Iraq. The SBS were in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We were hostages off the east coast of africa so we're doing a lot in a short period of time which guys before us have probably been waiting 10 15 20 years in their career to do so i was fortunate to do the first ever operational jump for the sbs and that was in afghanistan (laughs) and so i can i can relate to what your father was saying there is that actually because of the high grounds you know offsetting the altitude there was a couple of occasions yeah where you know we had it slightly wrong and thought we had still two and a half three thousand foot and then next thing we've uh, we've connected with the side of the hill but um yeah it's part and parcel of um yeah of jumping at altitude especially if you're different altitude from the dz or at night time was just a night at jump time everything's at yeah, everything we do is at night time right you know they yeah they, they call us green eyes because that's all yeah, they right. see yeah yeah because you got yeah. your nods you got your night vision huh Got your night vision on, yeah, and that's it. That's all. The, all the uh, all the Taliban knows as his green eyes because the only time that. he operates at night. Yeah, that's intense. We actually right there. we actually pick it up on their icom chatter when you know that they're, they're talking about as they're talking about green eyes. They're referencing. They're referencing. So they can pick it up. They're, they've got something that's picking up your green eyes. They've got night vision. They're probably picking up night vision. Night vision. Um, IR. That's not so much off. they had it, but you know they they can you know close up they they see that's all they can see yeah around the skull right up. here yeah it's just around the base you know so we're kicking indoors that's all they reference to, to. Oh, so I see. they don't reference us to a specific unit they just say green eyes yeah because the light from the night vision is on the skull sock of the eye sockets yeah i got you exactly. same with thermals they do the same thing I, so we do war games yeah. here in utah and we hunt guys that and he's okay. got my guy's got thermals and I like to hunt him because mm. when you get a predator like that, like, you know, the thermal guy, yeah, yeah. It, there's just something that you put in your, the notch of your gun right there. It's like, I'm going to notch that. Yeah. But he's good. so sucked into tunnel vision because he's so using that oh, technology. Well. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, all of a sudden you forget some senses around you, but if you're not using it, you'll yeah. see that glowing eye socket. It is true. Oh yeah. No, yeah. And, and technology's advanced so much over the years. I remember picking up my first thermal imager, back in 1999 in Egypt on an exercise. And this thing had a, a gas bottle the size of my sure. chest, which we had to, you know, twist on. I and mean, then, you know, almost had to start this thing up. It was making a noise. And now you get these handheld flirts yeah. and, you know, depth perception now on the MVGs. You know, it's so, it's so different from when the first generation. I'm currently, uh, we'll probably share a bit later, but I, I can't go into too much detail, but I'm currently 
doing a uh, episode documentary on the special forces with one of the biggest broadcasters yeah. in the world. Well, that's one thing that's really stood out to me as we've been visiting these units is is the evolution of equipment. You know, how equipment has right. changed so much from when I was in, you know, first generation plate carriers, which, you know, is probably the weight of this table. So like now these things, I, I don't even know. Like a 300 even... uh, D near nylon. It's like 300. <laughs> it's not even 500. Yeah. It's not even a thousand Cordura. It's like, you know, these different weights yeah. because guys like you are carrying such a load mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. are moving through a lot of, you know, terrain and having to get from point A to point yeah. B, the lighter the load, the better the the movement yeah, on your yeah. body. So now it's like laser yeah, cut yeah. molly inside of all of the vests. Yeah, They're taking yeah. off the webbing. The oh, webbing's gone now. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah, one yeah, less yeah, thing. Yeah. I know. One, yeah. One of the nations we went to, I can't really go into detail, but they had the old style jungle webbing that I was used to on my selection. And then my two co-hosts were there with all the modern stuff. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm using the old stuff again. Just uh, just one one last Nothing dance, like some Alice uh, gear harness yeah. on your body. It moves with you. You know, it just <laughs> yeah. does, right? Ammo on this yeah. side, this side. It does. It really yeah, does. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. And so, yeah. you know, we talk so cordially, but you are super, super famous for, you know, doing your shows, right? You want to tell me a little bit about the shows that you're, you can talk about? Yeah. So actually, it, I, I don't know if I'm more famous for the shows. How I sort of came yeah. into becoming a public figure where it started as we touched on i had i had that parachuting accident after 16 years and so unfortunately i had to leave the special forces i never i never really i never had perception i never had any aspirations of leaving the military at all i was a lifer i was going to go on to my 22 i was going to get commissioned and i was going to stay until i was until they kicked me out basically i didn't want to be a civilian but unfortunately the parachute accident you know, changes the course and direction of your life. And so I ended up, you know, leaving the military at 16 years. All I'd ever known from the age of 17 to now 33 coming on 34 was that military environment. As with you, my father was in the military. My grandparents were in the military. I, I grew up as a, we call him a pads brat or like yeah, a military, military brat, brat, you know, military yeah. brat. Yeah. We call him yeah. pads brat. And, you know, cause a pad is, is your home. It's, sure. Your homes are called pads. So that's what it was pads brat. And so that's all I ever really, ever really knew. And then, you know, I changed the direction, met my wife. My wife and I were together anyway, and she's very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial and philanthropic. Book writer too, right? Author, and, I think. Yeah, she's an author now as well. Yeah, but she, you know, when you're in the military, the military will protect you. You know, they, they provide you know, the heat and the accommodation, every, everything else. You know, they take all those distractions away from you so you can focus mm-hmm. on the job that you need to be doing. And so I... um. I was worried about entering this alien environment, which was a civilian environment for me. But my wife, you know, took those distractions away from me. And without sounding like Liam Neeson, people with our skill sets naturally go on to the private security mm-hmm. sector. And so my screen's frozen. I don't no, know. I'm still Sorry. moving. No, I, I, see, I see you just okay, fine. No, yeah. it's fine. It's, you see me? Okay, cool. Yeah. So I get yeah. to go. So, yeah. So people with our skill sets naturally go on to the security okay. industry. And so within 48 hours, I was out in Libya during the Arab Spring, helping set up the British embassy in Benghazi. But I soon identified that a lot of the big security companies were charging six, seven figure sums for crisis management, evacuation right. plans, stuff that's not in place. And as we see more recently in, in Afghanistan, they, they still haven't sorted themselves out, but still selling the service. And so I bought 30 weapons on the black market and I buried them between Tunis and Egypt and designed my own evacuation plans wow. and sold them to the oil. So I was starting to then 
get a reputation within the security industry. You know, I, I was learning in a short period of time the whole about the security sector. You know, when I tell people I'm in the security industry, they think you're, because of the way you look and the, the build you are, you're a doorman from the local nightclub. You know, it's everything from surveillance, close protection, coaching, mentoring, you know, geopolitical analysis. There's so much in that arena. And I was learning a lot quickly. I just finished the London Olympics in 2012 when your American, and I was in Benghazi the evening your American ambassador yeah, got Chris killed. Stevens. They made a movie called, mm-hmm. yeah, they made a movie called 13 wow. Hours. So I was in the city that evening and I single-handedly got a German oil company from Benghazi back to Tripoli through safe houses that I had. So I'd, I'd proven the concept of my evacuation mm-hmm. plan. And then two years later, I, I'm at the Brazil World Cup Again, another big sporting event and enjoying, you know, doing security, but enjoying the environment. And then I get a phone call from the Canadian embassy in Libya telling me that there's now the Tripoli war, which is a civil war between the militias and the government. And all the embassies had shut shop and gone. All the security companies had left and they were stuck behind. But they knew that I, I had a reputation to help people in, in these situations. So I went back in and I... I single-handedly evacuated the Canadian embassy out of Libya on my own, 18 military and four diplomats, yeah. And so when I came back from that trip, that's when my wife highlighted to me that I'd only been home 21 days in a 365-day period. And this is five years from my injury. And so I I was trying to match the adrenaline rush I had when I was in the Special yep. Forces without coming to terms with the fact that I'd left. And so something needed to change. And so at this point, I'm still very much under the radar. You know, people don't really know of me outside the SF community. Yeah. It was then that I decided I was going to do the bike ride. But before that, I had been approached by TV crews, said, look, we've heard about you. You know, we're doing this show called SAS, Who Dares right. Wins. Do you, you know, we want you to be the chief instructor. But for me, I was always conscious of maintaining my reputation within the group. You know, I didn't, you know, it was very new, this world of media. Yeah, I didn't want to be- all of a sudden, it's just like you had a switch yeah. that hit you and said, you know, I don't mind telling my story because you go from No, so I, yeah, so I did it to, in, a, in a different, yeah. Uh, so I turned down that opportunity. I actually, uh, one of my friends who just come out of prison, was in the special mm-hmm. forces, uh, one of the other guys had post-traumatic stress, uh, who couldn't work in the security industry. So they were really struggling for work. And I said, well, look, speak to these guys. You know, for me, I'm still smuggling people yeah. across borders so it doesn't help when you're on tv or you're a public figure they went on that show then became a huge hit in uk you know my wife says oh why do you turn it down but for me it's about maintaining that reputation within the- but that's when i decided you know when i came back after the canadian embassy my wife's like you know you're taking too many risks it needs to change and so that's when we decided you know i i, I would go work with her but having heard my backstory i wasn't she was a a um she was a property developer. <laughs> so I would go, I would join her on these architects and planners meetings. And I'd just, she could see I was just bored. I had no interest like in what these guys choosing lines and choosing, yeah. you know, door frames yeah, yeah. and flipping houses. Yeah, put cocktail sticks in my eyes, you know yeah. what I mean? Just try to stay away. And then, so she said, look, you need to do something to keep yourself physically, mentally engaged. And that's when we then decided to do the bike ride. And then because of the bike ride, you know, Prince Harry and I are good friends, been good friends 15 so years, cool. did a JTAC course. Yeah, did a JTAC course together, did a lot of charity work. You know, I rang him up, told him about this bike ride I was doing. You know, we did it for one of his charities. 
We set a target of a million pounds. The world record was 117. That's what I said. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. and and so you know so really we didn't do it for you know to expose ourselves we did it so i wasn't taking risks and and stuff but also giving back to the community but a year later yeah i wrote i smashed the world record by 17 days i came the first man in history to do under nine under 100 days but more impressively my wife raised 1.3 million dollars so that's yeah. when your profile, then, that's when you then became exposed. But where it sat well with the SF community is the fact that they knew I could have gone the, the quick option and done TV and, and, and yeah. done it that way. But they actually said, well, you're actually representing the community in a good light. You know, the $1.3 million went to various mental health charities and, and stuff. And so we did it in a, in a slower manner rather than trying to grab any sort of fame and stuff like that. We did it. You know, we actually, we, I didn't look beyond the bike ride. I didn't see a career in guest speaking, a book, doing other TV. I did it because you were focused you know, I needed on to that. Myself. Like, like yeah. you put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the bike ride was a perfect challenge. You know, I'd never cycled before, but, you know, I'd done a lot of stuff in the military. I'd done a lot in the private security sector. I literally took a military set of orders and put it on this challenge and just crossed out ammunition. Right. You know, because the, the military is great at planning projects like this and so and for me the sort of character that i am i can't just buy a bike and go join the local cycling club it has to be your full send is what we call it in the snowboard world bro it's like your full send you just gotta go full full send send, you know it's like if you're gonna do something you're just not gonna half ass it you're just gonna go all in it's like if i got a tattoo what's the biggest (laughs) it's not just like a little tattoo i just gotta go like all in it's like yeah so that's that thought process or snowboarding for me. I, I'm just all in, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, hardcore. Yeah, all in. It's yeah. true. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So, yeah, so that's how we, we ended up in this situation in, in becoming more of a, a public figure and doing other TV. It just purely was work. by accident. Through yeah. charity work, yeah. And and so I, I, I had a... Um, pushing the human I experience. You know, you're pushing the human element to 14,000 miles on a bike, you know, and uh, you're doing it in under 17 days of the other traditional record, and now you own the record. There's something to be said yeah. about that, you know, just... Where was the biggest struggle to get through? Like, was anybody like, you can't cross this land? We're not going to let you? And you're like, you don't understand. So I spoke to the previous record holders. When I started doing the research on this, you know, I I wasn't a cyclist. I started buying cycling magazines and I was learning a lot from them. But I wasn't getting the information I needed for Mm -hmm. the challenge, you know. The best people to speak to are those that have done it before you. 
you know, people who've been on the ground. So, you know, one of the reasons, like, the UK Special Forces is one of the best in the world. It's not because of the, the caliber of the guys or the training. It's because we're always learning. You know, anyone, you know, you have to always be learning. You're never an expert at everything. You know, that's why one of our ethos is the unrelenting pursuit of excellence. We're always pursuing our excellence. We never reach it. And so every time we used to come off the ground, whether it's on operations or training or whatever we do, and it's a great model or, or template for anyone in life or business. We had a thing called the hot debrief. And the hot debrief, you know, before we go clean our weapons, get showered, mm-hmm. get fed, sit there with the ops officer while it's still fresh in our minds. And he'd ask us three questions, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And if we were to do that again, that operation, what would we do differently? So we're always learning from it. So I I asked those three questions to the previous record holders and they all started in Alaska, finished in Argentina. You can get a vehicle all the way from Alaska to Argentina if you cross the Darien Gap, which is uh, between Panama and uh, Colombia. But all their issues are in South and Central America, languages, spares for the bike, bureaucracy. So... Being a military guy, I was like, well, why why take a gamble with the second half of the yeah. challenge? Why would you not address those issues early and get them right. out of the way? And then once you're in America, you're Pretty home much, run. Yeah. So that's what I did. You know, one of the things I was quite proud of, just because everyone decided to go north-south, didn't mean it was the right way. And I went some south-north and planned it the other way around. But, you you know, you we, we had all sorts of issues. There were strong winds. That, you know, I got food poisoning in Peru. I crashed my bike. What the food poisoning? You just you know, kept pedaling? Yeah, well, actually, I met two guys when I was in Dubai. I, I, you know, I looked at where I was, where I was cycling. The Atacama Desert in Chile is like the driest non-popular desert in the world. It was forty-seven degrees centigrade, like one hundred twenty plus Fahrenheit for a week with no shade. And so, you know, I've been very fortunate in the military. I've been to the jungle, the desert, the Arctic. You know, but I haven't done it on a yeah. push bike. And so, I wanted to. I did want to take a risk on the challenge and find that actually you, you struggle at cycling at heat or at altitude or in the snow. And so I replicated those circumstances or those scenarios before I even went on the challenge. So I flew out to Dubai and did heat training out there, satisfying myself. And I met two, two gentlemen, uh, Axel and Andreas. They had the South America world record as a pair. And they said, you will get food poisoning at some point, but know that you can still cycle with food poisoning. So I did. I got food poisoning in Peru. But fortunately for me, going from south to north, from a cycling perspective, was a good decision. I had a tailwind all the way through Peru. That's 2,500 kilometers of, of tailwind. So although I had food poisoning, it wasn't as laborious. It wasn't as hard to cycling because I had that wind behind me. So I was still doing 150 miles a day with food poisoning. Um, you know, it still it still wasn't pleasant. I, I like to call Peru poo rather yeah, than Peru. Um, but that was my experience. Yeah, because yeah. you were just like pushing through it just to get through the ailment. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, geez, how many days total was it? 99 days is what you were on that trek? It was 99 days. Yeah, I took 10 days off the South America wheel record. And then I got, I got, into, I got into North America, Del Rio, on day 70. And I was... 14 days ahead of the wheel record. And I'm like, perfect. You know, my wife's the campaign director. She was running. She got me to sponsorship. She fundraised. She took all those distractions away from me. So all I had to do was focus on the uh, on the bike ride. And she rang me up. Literally, I had five missed calls when I got into Texas. And I don't know what it was getting into Texas, but it was just like a huge... A huge relief, a huge weight off the shoulders. I, it was almost like being on escape and evasion and getting to the war RV. I don't know whether it was because 
you know, language. Everyone spoke the same language. The culinary options, you know, the food right. was probably, uh, you know, I was more familiar with it. Or the fact that having spoken There's to previous shops on the corner with there. supplies, pretty There's much, even though there is there. no supplies in the world, we seem to have some still. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I had, I had a support team with me with bikes sure. anyway. It was spared. But it, I think it was the fact that having spoken to previous record holders, all those issues were behind you. We're behind. Yes. They were right. behind me. So we're on the we're on the home run, and so it was like a huge relief. But that that soon that soon changed within an hour. I had five missed calls off my wife, and I'm like, oh, there's obviously something wrong with the children. And she rang me to tell me we've invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding. I said that's nice, and she goes, no, you don't understand. You need to now be finished day 102. Oh. And so going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. I'm now uh, 10 minutes later. I'm now a day behind. Oh. And so I had to, yeah, so all those efforts before me had to change. So that was probably one of the hardest things for me. You're a homie. That's a homie right there. You're you're like, all right, all right. You're like that. That's a homie. There's friend. That's friendship right there. I love that. Hmm. I love that you're friends with the prince and, or Harry with, and and the family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, awesome. How awesome. Yeah, so so yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I had to change the way that I cycled. Yeah. I, I I got to Lubbock in Texas. We had sixty mile an hour winds and tornadoes, so I was I was grounded now for another twenty four hours. So I was now two days behind. So there's a, there's an app on your phone called Windy TV, and it gives you the strength and directions of the winds forecasted every hour for the next two weeks. And so I just changed the plan. I just put pen to paper. I had to cycle three hundred and forty miles in the next thirty six hours to miss the next weather window. And majority of my cycling was done at night because that's when the winds had subsided. So I just played chess with Mother Nature, found those Sounds gaps like in it. winds, and just yeah, and uh, and also use it to my advantage. I got to Cheyenne. Oh Wyoming. wow, yeah, a lot picked, of open space there. Picked up a beautiful <laughs> yeah, I picked up a beautiful yeah. tailwind. There is wind. I covered. I did two hundred and seventy miles in eleven hours with ten thousand feet of climbing. Oh, yeah. You know, so was also using it. So I had 17 days planned for North America originally. I cycled 11 and a half days. So, you know, the success of this challenge was the fact that, you know, the start point and your objective is always the same. It was just being reactive to the situation changes on the ground as they happened. Other people may have struggled and been like, you know, been a bit overwhelming. But for me, I'm used to that in the special forces. You get dropped into, and security, you get dropped into these situations and you don't know what the infrastructure is like. You don't know what you're going to expect, but you still have an objective and you do everything in your power to meet that objective. Completed. You're great. <laughs> yeah. no, that was wonderful. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So, okay, let's just pick up what you meant. You brought it up. You brought up, you know, the wedding. And so yeah. the day is now yeah. what? And you've made it to Alaska. So I made it to Alaska on day nine. I did it in so sort of going back again slightly because there was another curveball uh-huh. as well. I was a week outside and I was in a, a town called Whitehorse and I was eating as mu- I was eating about five Everything, Big Mac meals. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was losing oh, weight. Yeah. I was losing weight from the day that I started to, to I finished. 
And my mate rang, the, the two gentlemen I met in Dubai told me about this guy who's, he's a professional cyclist. He does this as a living. He's got three wheel records, sponsored by all the big brands, Red Bull. He's about 26 years old. You know, he's in his prime. And he'd, he'd come out on social media and said that he was going to cycle the Pan American Highway and be the first man to do it under 100 days. And so for me, I was like, ah, well, I can't, you know, I, I was well within my wheel record. And I thought, well, if I, if I don't push on even harder, and try to get in in 100 days, you know, would I be able to live with myself? So I had to cycle for 22 hours in the last 30 hours in minus 18 in the snow in, in Prudhoe Bay to come in wow. under that 100-day thing. So, again, even to the very last day, I, the plan was changing or the, the objective was changing. So it was a huge feat. Obviously, I achieved it under the 100 days. But more impressively, Alana raised $1.3 million for charity yeah. as well, which which was huge. So, hey, as you touched on, we then had to fly yeah. back. Uh, my family, my wife and kids, I think they're the only kids uh, ever to be at Prudhoe Bay because it's an oil rig. There's hotels up there. And so, the, yeah, the, um, I don't think you call them yeah, Roughnecks. Yeah, that was, I mean, Roughnecks is the, what it is. Yeah, yeah they do the, the Roughnecks oil. were on the, yep. yeah, they, they, were on the they were on the flight from Anchorage to Prudhoe Bay and wondering why there's like a, an 18-month-old baby and a, uh, <laughs> you know, a five-year-old girl, uh, five-year-old yeah. girl, uh, sorry, six-year-old girl on there. Like, They're programmers. And so they it's a new seen, generation. Yeah, they haven't seen kids. <laughs> yeah, they've never seen kids before. So, yeah, we left there, went via Anchorage and flew back to UK. And I got back to UK probably two days before yeah. the wedding. But as soon as I landed, the first day was 15 TV and radio interviews. The next day was 15 TV radio interviews just prior to the wedding. And him and I saw each other briefly as he came out the castle one day to see the public. He ran over and saw that, you know, saw that I was there. I'd lost my yeah. weight. Yeah, I lost about 25 pounds in weight as well from the, the challenge. But what was really frustrating, not frustrating, it's um, I didn't really get time to, A, get used to being around my family again. You know, and start rebuild that bond with them, and just spend time and really appreciate what we'd achieved as a family as well. Me and Alana and, and the kids to a huge high, the the world's biggest event that was going on. You know, the world's cameras, and so I mean, all the questions I had were, "How are you feeling about the wedding?" And then post wedding was, you know, "What did you eat? What did you drink?" And I'm like, "Really? I've just this record, yeah." Two the first man in history and raised 1.3 million dollars but no one was interested it was almost like the wedding had overshadowed what you'd done so I would, for me personally being All selfish, the way down to like what you ate yeah it's like yeah yeah i would have loved to have had sort of had that time to take on board what i'd done before we hadn't had a a huge high you know great for me and alana but again at the wedding i was still coming to terms with the fact that what i'd done and being around people again <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're immersed with the beckhams the Clooney's, the you know of the world in, in this same little room and you go from this again regimented lifestyle right is when i it's like, so when i started working out in boxing i've just been going every day now and then when i miss a day it's like i'm guilty of something yeah right i'm like i should be yeah, there yeah, yeah. they're there i'm not there why are they there and i'm not there but i have to take my kid to like back to school so i had to step away take care of the family right? Because that's what's important. That's what even put me off today was going back to my son's first day of high school here and walking him through his classes to make sure he knows where he's going. And I'm just like, I'm so glad I'm done with school on that level, but I'm always learning still, Dean. It's the same thing you say. You can't just stop. You can't just say, oh, I'm the teacher now. You have to always be the student. Like that's, that's always learning, right? Just always 
what's up, what's down, and what would you do differently on the mission? You know, when I do my war games with my team here, uh, we have those same things. We have a hot wash at the very end of every night game. We're like, how'd everybody do? Give us one up and one down. Well, my weapon wasn't cleaned and I could have done better. Okay. What went up? Well, the team performed well for me, you know, except, et cetera. So what's the one up and one down? And I think if we just, you know, you can do that in your daily life. You can one up and one down. What went good for me today? And what could I do differently? Uh, it's not just something that, you know, guys with a whiteboard in their office, a lot of special forces guys have a long whiteboard and they sit there and they write on this whiteboard all the way out for like four or five years of their lives. I've seen it. My dad did it. I know other SF guys that still have it who are out of the military, but it's like somewhere there's a whiteboard and they're yeah. proper planning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all, yeah. It's all about that. I mean, and then just, yeah, proper planning. And also not a bit, a bit like my bike ride, you know, planning was, was key. You know, when I do guest speaking, I, I contradict myself guys. I talk about the importance of the planning and the planning that went into the beginning, but then also not being too upset when the plan has to change. You know, that is a plan. It's good to have a plan, yeah. but there needs to be flexibility in that plan as well. Well, that's just like making a decisive decision in a situation where you're like, what do I do? And you're just like, well, I got to yeah. go right or left. You're going to deal with going yeah, left yeah. or you're going, going right. Whatever it is, you just got to make that decision. Stick with, stick with yes. your decision. Yeah. yeah. And then fix it. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, we should have lean right instead of left. Go, everybody yeah. lean. Yeah, don't go right. I mean, just keep looking right. left. Just go right. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. It's like, what's yeah, over yeah. yeah, exactly. That's awesome, dude. And so, you know, yeah. as SBS, that's special boat service. You came from the yes. regiment, though, right? Is that the Army regiment? Is that right? No, no. So I, I came. I came from the Army. I was in the Engineers. I was. I did. I was a commando reconnaissance, so paratrooper and a commando. I was also a diver in the military. So I'd surfed since a what young boy, so anything around the maroon, the my beret was green, green beret. beret. Yeah, it was green beret. Yeah, so same with the Royal Marines, yes. Royal Marine uh, Commander. It's the coveted green beret. And so I'd spent my time working with Royal Marines. I was an instructor commando course as well. And and but but, but as you touched on, you to go SAS, you sorry to go um, SPS. You had to, it was before I went it was 100 percent Royal Marines, but SAS would take Marines, Army, Air Force, etc. But actually, the Marines were losing a lot of candidates to the SAS because they didn't like the diving. So they then decided to open up tri-service. So unlike here in the U.S. where you have Delta Force have their own selection process and Dev Crew, um, SEAL Team mm-hmm. 6 have their, uh, yeah, have their own one, ours is the same. SAS and SBS is exactly the same six-month selection. People don't know that. We don't have a separate one. So it's not as if like I'm going to SBS because it's, you know, it's harder or easier than the SS. It's the same. Um, you know, I, I've actually got a funny story about it. I've stood on the spot where the SBS was created at Fort Cumberland. Yeah, oh, that's really? right. Inside oh, wow. the room, I had a spot wow. of tea just uh, last yeah. year, as a matter of fact. And I got to go and oh, check cool. out a 17th century urinal. <laughs> okay, that's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize what I was looking at at wow. first, you know. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's a 17th century urinal. And I said, oh, let me check this out. And, I, and he's like, yeah, it's where you piss, mate. And I was like, oh, urinal, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. he turned his headlight, urinal, his yeah. head torch on, and I'm in there, and it's this yeah. 17th century stoned out pissing yeah, yeah. at Fort Cumberland, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What a great – and then I also got a picture in fr- with my buddy Big Phil, who took me to Fort Cumberland to go check this stuff out, yeah, uh, yeah. in front of this Royal Marine statue that stands about 30 feet tall. It's out front of – Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I have yeah. a photo. Oh, you're down in down in Portsmouth, yeah. That's down in Portsmouth, yeah, Hampton Portsmouth, area, right? Yeah, Southampton, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. That's, that's it, right. yeah, that's it, yeah. And Paul, SBS, we're we're to 
So yeah, Portsmouth, Southampton, and then Paul. Yeah, it's all on the South. And then I learned that they used Fort Cumberland down there to trick the Luftwaffe during World War II to set up the boats out on the harbor as city lights. So when the Luftwaffe would fly back through bombing raids and they'd want to indiscriminately just drop their ordnance, they're dropping it in the sea. And by the Isle of Wight. The Isle of Wight, yeah. That's That's right. Yeah, Yeah. and across the way is Normandy. Mm. And... Utah and yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, not, not far. far. Yeah, not far. At no, all. and I stood there yeah, on those yeah. shores and I looked over like as if Napoleon was coming at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so uh, yeah, much to discuss to my friends in the uh, in the SAS. I, uh, I I went to the SBS and we started with two hundred, and then six months later, eight pass, and I was one of those. And and now, fifteen percent of the SBS come from the army, so. Yeah. Right. Right. So SBS, you're probably f- Ollie, right? Ollie Archerton. O- Ollie's uh, SBS. Yeah, Ollie Ollie. No, I I didn't I didn't serve Ollie Ollie, and he was he um he was out when I when I went in, but he, him and I just did a show together in Australia, SAS Australia. So I know Ollie. Yeah, yeah. no, and Ollie did the yeah. uh, Rumble where he boxed against the Navy Seal. Yeah, that's yeah, right, that's right. Yeah, well, I, I did. See, I don't want. I don't think there was that much boxing coming from Ollie. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the, the the guys that stepped in that ring. Are just good yeah. in my book. A for good. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, true. I, I, yeah, I, I did. I did. Someone sent me a picture. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I know Ollie, uh, but purely from post military. Yeah, yeah, that's on it. the yeah. same show though. No, it's just a small world. Small world. I'll get him on here. Yeah, it is. A I'll small get him world. on here. Small community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, so you know, you say there's a lot of family in your life, right? You're talking about the support system mm-hmm. of your wife helping you transition from military civilian to back yeah. to regrouping with the family and focusing on your yeah. you know transition so you know big shout out to your wife and doesn't she have a book mm. out that we can mention yeah yeah so so my wife actually you talk about royalty my, we've just been in scotland my wife's just been honored the mbe from king charles so we're in scotland a month ago the badge yeah. the mbe that's the bad yeah yeah that's, the a, MBE, the that's cross, like the yeah. number one badge yeah, well, I think it's, yeah, well, there's other ones. There's OBEs, well, like for civilian, though, right? And, yeah, for a civilian, yeah. Member of the most excellent order of the British Excellent. Empire. It sounds very archaic. Yeah, so archaic. she um, she obviously did the fundraising for the bike ride, but she works a lot in modern slavery and human trafficking. So it was her services to, 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 to that, which was good because, you know, everyone sort of sees me, but, you know, I always talk quite highly of her and what, she, what she's done and achieved. So... For me, that was great, and the fact that you know she's been recognised for that. But yeah, she has a book. Uh, she has two books actually. One's a business book, "How to Ask mm-hmm. for Money." And so, as a non-cyclist, you can imagine trying to get sponsorship for a challenge like this. She got me. Uh, she got me half a million pound sponsorship as a non-cyclist, and then raised one point three million dollars. So the book's great, whether you're in non-profit or we're in business. She has her own formula, being able to how to ask for money. And it's just really, the book is That's exactly what them. you want to do, how to ask for money. <laughs> Sounds just like... <laughs> yeah, well, I, she then started writing it because we were chatting with someone we worked in with wealth management and oh, they said, oh, I don't like talking about money or asking for money. I'm like, well, this is your job. He said, no, you know, it's in most people's top 10 fears. Yeah. So, okay, so she, she's that I love asking for money, so she uh, she put that down and did her own book. And then she has a she has a, a autobiography called um, "She Who Dares." She who dares, yeah, she who dares. So it tells about her life story as well. Mm-hmm. And then with my book, Relentless, you know, there's my side of the story. I mean, she'll be telling it from 
from a, a partner's perspective. One hundred percent. You know, like I was talking to you pre-show. Yeah. You know, my mom and dad sit behind me on all these shows because they were mm-hmm. a team, right? Dad was gone for yeah, six yeah. months. Mom was home doing a lot of what dad wanted to be doing. But when dad came home, yeah. mom was still running the show. You see? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you got to still like let mom and dad kind of like get back together. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. You know, a lot of people because being in the special forces is quite selfish. It's quite selfish because you you leave the family behind, expect them to carry on. You go do your stuff, and then you you walk back through the door and expect to pick off where yeah. you left off. It, it doesn't work like that, you know. There's a you know, it's a lot of teamwork, it's a lot of effort, and uh, you know, um, a lot of guys, unfortunately, when they they do finish their end of the career, realize actually them and their partners not they don't love each other, they just can't live with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so there's um yeah no, it, it's hard, but um. Yeah, you know, the, the wives are the unsung heroes. Yeah, and I just want to give them a shout out. And that's exactly why I uh, mm. coiled her into my conversation with you. So you can smile just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, so thanks to her for kicking yeah. your ass. <laughs> yeah. 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 And she, she always, cha- you know, not challenges me, but she always, you know, you know, it's quite funny. She, she goes, well, if you can't do it, you can't do it. And it's like fucking the red rag. To the ball yeah, with me. It's like, okay, so she, she pushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do that. What? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Challenge, yeah. I've been challenge. learning from uh, a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger lately. I've been watching his documentary. He's like, you know, I just wanted to be Hercules, and so I said, what do I have to do to be Hercules on this movie cover? And boom, he really did push himself. Yeah, yeah. And manifest yeah. himself to be who he is. And the, yeah. the, that same thing. Yeah, I'm yeah, like. True. I'm just kind of stealing some of that same mental toughness of like, you know, I want to be, I'm 45 years old, almost 46 into boxing. Yeah. I'm 46. I'm boxing though. And I like it. And I'm liking my shoulders and I like how I'm feeling. And yeah. And I've just, you know, just focus on, I just want to be a healthy person. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm the same. I'm 46 coming on 47 and it's like just staying fit and, you know, being, um, active, a good inspiration for the advocate. Yeah. You know, for me, with the bike ride, with the bike ride, you know, when Harry and I chatted and we did a promo video together and then he introduced me to the Royal Foundation, they were like, you know, what is it you're trying to promote with this bike ride? So the, the money we, we raised went to uh, 11 mental health charities, but not just veteran. It was postnatal depression, young children, teenagers. It was the whole sector. And they said, you know, what is it you're trying to promote? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it. And, and then after I said, well, physical activity yeah. helps your mental state. And... And they originally they said you can't use that. This is back in 2016. I said, well, why not? They said it's not being scientifically proven. I said, well, I don't need a scientist to tell me that I feel good. Yeah. So I ignored them and carried on using it. And now it is recognized. Now, now it's totally recognized. You know, here in the U.S. at the Veterans Administration, they're trying to use recreational therapy, but the patient has to ask for it. The veteran has to ask for it. It's not quite brought up and they have to be like rated. You know, there's a certain up to a hundred percent rating for us military personnel. Okay. (laughs) So if you're like a 40% rated, you may not qualify, but I'm just saying that if you're listening to this right now and you're going to the VA and you're getting doctor's appointments for psychological, they're trying to offer you benzos and pills. Just ask them if there's recreational therapy available, which could be snowboarding or mountain biking. It can be getting out surfing, you know, racquetball. If you ever played racquetball, like hitting the ball, tennis, all those things are recreational therapy, going for a hike. So you can try to get that through the VA here. I just want to put that out there to my listener. Yeah. Recreational therapy. Good to know. 
Yeah, yeah. That works for here's me. my, uh, yeah, here's no, my, my internet doctorate degree for about 30 more yeah, seconds yeah, yeah. before it expires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if awesome. we're going to follow the internet, just yeah, go outside, go for a walk. And you know, it feels good. Yeah. We always, yeah. we always sit around watching folks like, like Dean do the record breaker and be like, wow, what if I could do that? Well, what if, mm. why don't you go try? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You know, yeah. chase it. I always say to people, anticipation is worse than participation. People will, will tell you why they can't do it or think about why they can't do it. But actually, when you do take that leap or decide to do it, you then look back and realize it actually wasn't that bad. No, so, no yeah. and, and a lot of folks yeah. will sit there and watch others like work out. They'll see these inspirational things on their scrolls and they'll sit there and say, I need to, I need to. And then three yeah. years have gone by of I need to's. Mm, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, true. And that's why I say when people speak to me about doing challenges, I said, you know, have you got a date yet? Oh, no, I haven't got a date. Put the date in and then one, then it's that's real. Right. Tell people you're doing it, then it's real. That's right. Otherwise, it'll just, just keep moving to the right. No, it's serious. It is. It's totally serious. You yeah. just got to keep moving, stay focused, show up to yourself. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the hardest part. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you don't want to go somewhere yeah. and you feel people are going to stare at you or, or laugh at you, then you can just do it in the privacy of your own home. Just, yeah. you know, burpees. Yeah, yeah, you, you can do it. And you know, that was a great thing. Uh, one of the good things about COVID, there wasn't many, but that was one of the good things about COVID. People had to improvise. Yeah. You know, you can go to the gym. Like, just do it do it at home. You know what I mean? I've got my COVID weights right I here, never, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I never laugh at anyone who's doing any sort of training. I see people all shapes and sizes. And I'm like, well, at least they're doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? I'll never, yeah. Because you've been it. doing it since you're 16, 17 to be in your physical shape, right? Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. And, and, and the, the shit, the, the way I'm built, I'm, I've never used weights before. It's all body weight. Because when I was in the military, the, you know, they test you on pull ups, dips, press ups, yes. how fast you can run. You're climbing a rope. They don't test you on how, how much can you press or curl and things like that. And so, so for me, I would always, train for what you were going to get tested on <laughs> and and did it that way and then managed to get quite big through that but also uh, finding the balance that you needed to be able to still perform or fulfill your role you know so whether you're climbing the side of a ship at night on a, a caving mm. ladder or whether you're climbing a, the rope on, on a helicopter to get out of the jungle you know i, I met uh, some some guys in, in kosovo from one of the other nations and they were like hollywood you know they look like Arnie, yeah. you know, they look the part but actually we're zero uh, contribution to the team because they were too mm -hmm. big and so i was always conscious my training was geared around that body weight stuff being able to feel, fulfill How your tall role are you do you mind if i ask yeah i'm 5'11 five, 5 200 pounds. were you that tall when you joined the military no actually no my father actually told me the last two minutes when i told him i was going to join the military he was i was five foot seven and i weighed about 67 kilo you know i'm 5'11 now and 90 oh, wow. so, so but yeah, but I still haven't really fully formed. You know, I joined at the age of 17 and a half. I'm still yeah, growing. four more, like four uh, more inches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But within about 18 months, I shot those four inches and I put on that, on that weight. But I just grew physically, but more important, I grew mentally as well. The, the very first course I did my basic training, you know, for the engineers, was like 10 weeks. And then I got to the end of that and I was like, okay. And then the next was the combat engineering, which is 12 weeks. And combat engineering, there was a lot of bridge building. You know, a lot of heavy weights and stuff. So that that was naturally building me up. But then I was like, 
okay. And then I did the all arms commando course. And then, so every time I then did a course, I was passing and I was at, I wasn't just passing. I was either becoming like top student or, or up in the top five, 10%. And so that then started giving me confidence to then see well, what's next. I never had any aspirations of being special forces at all. You just went one <laughs> so step at a time. It, it just went yep. one step at a time. And literally I did every arduous course you did in the engineers. And the only route, the only course left was, tier one special yeah, because forces. that's the next level to go to because you'd already accomplished yeah i was already tier three special forces um so it was like well you know, tier one or, or don't but you know there's some guys on my course who from a young age like i'm talking six seven all they ever wanted to be was sas or sbs and this was their moment and a lot of them crumbled under pressure in, and whereas i went in with an attitude of i am good enough and yeah but if i get in i get in if i don't you know uh, it's not something that's been a long life ambition. And, and I think that's also, that helps with special forces soldiers. They take things, they don't take, take things too serious. Well, and a lot of folks you know don't I mean? realize that the green beret that you, uh, wear goes to the green berets over here. Wasn't that how it was given to, yeah. you know, the SF green beret over here, how we have the special forces. Yeah. I think that, I think, yeah, I, I don't really know the history of it, but I, I, I do hear, I, I've heard of a story of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the same with your Delta Force, you know, your Colonel Chuck Norris. Now, but Colonel he, Chuck Norris, no, Delta no, Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. He came over and spent two years with the SAS. And then in 1977, came back and set up Delta Force and did the selection process from ours. So, yeah, so there's a lot of origins that can come from the UK. Exactly. Yeah. But the, the Green Beret for us in the UK, it's the only coveted beret in the whole of the UK Special Forces. So if you're attached to the SAS, you can get a Sandy Berry. Yeah. If you're attached to the, the parachute Maroon. regiment, you'll get yeah. a Maroon. If you're attached to the free commander brigade, you only get the Green Beret if you've done the command. Oh, so the Green Beret does have that significance. Uh, it has that significance. You can only, it's the only coveted Green Beret. We have the intelligence corps who have a Green Beret, but it's more like a snotty green than a, than a dark yeah. green. Yeah. But you're the Beret. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that one is. Yeah, I mean, the yes. SBS. And the SBS is that coveted green. So I, although I wasn't a Royal Marine, I'd done the commander and course. So you had that, yeah. And, uh, my, oh, that's legit. Yeah. I love that. You know I love that. You know yeah. I'm going to be just totally, <laughs> <Cool>. you know, yeah. <laughs> Green Beret. Woo! Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, why, that's why we say it's, it's coveted. And that's why the, the, the Marines and the commandos are so proud of their, their beret back yeah, in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, me too, me too. I'm, I'm in your corner, yeah. bro. I, I think you're fabulous. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad we've had this opportunity to talk and just really you know Pleasure. my listener just wants to hear you talk like this you know and say what's up bro now, now what's <laughs> yeah. your shirt say it says staccato oh staccato staccato it's a uh, american pistol brand uh, they do a lot of law enforcement based in texas they're basically the ferrari of the pistol i'm gonna wheel. get totally so wrong out for saying suit. their name wrong probably being an american yeah, gun staccato, guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your listeners will know Staccato. So yeah, I'm a I'm a brand ambassador for Staccato, Leopold, and Five. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's get them put out there the for US. you, dude. Yeah. You should say that. Yeah. yeah. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Are you going to be going to Vegas in January? 
the shot show. Yeah, I've been the last two years as a guest. I did my I did my book signing at the shot show last year with five. Well, if you're there on Range Day, I'll be there on Range Day. We'll have to at least yeah, shake hands yeah. and just say I'll, hi and get a proper photo. No, definitely, I'll be I'll be there with the car. Yeah, and I'll be there with soft rep. <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect. exactly. There we go. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. I'd love to. Yeah, be, and and say yeah. and say have a spot of tea if you still do that, right? Of course, of course. dude. Yeah, I, I don't mind the tea now and then. I'm a coffee yeah, guy. I, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys threw all the tea in the bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when I go over there for some reason, everything's still. When I go over to England, I feel like I'm at home. Yeah, yeah, oh, really, dude. really, yeah. really. Because I mean, I have that in my DNA. I have a lot of British in me that mm. I didn't realize till I did this DNA yeah. stuff. And then, uh, yeah, uh, scan and, and Norway, Norwegian, so Norway. So I'm very. Oh that, wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we. You know, we, we live in California yeah. now. And so we, um, you know, no, we went back to UK. It was nice to go back. But, you know, we do love the American, American dream. We, we actually moved over right in the middle of COVID, October 20. Me and my wife were like, ah, right, let's yeah, go. Well, While the world was paused, we just came in and, uh, well, you're lucky route. because it's crazy right now with the housing markets and everything all, you know, you're over here. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, everything's unstable, but you know, you sort of, you seize opportunity, you know, you know, yes, the world, there was a crisis going on, but we just saw that as Same. an opportunity and took advantage. I just, I stayed alive. Yeah. My shops stayed open. We didn't, you know, I was waiting for cool. someone to say, you should close. I'm like, when do I get to go home for 30 days? When do I get off? No, they're yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. your, your stores yeah. stay open because they're a uh, gun store, airsoft war cool. game stores. So it's like essential. Wow. Only in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only in America. Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, um, oh, do you want to plug your book for me? You have a book, right? Yeah, I have a, I have a book called Relentless. So we I had it it was launched in the UK originally and when I came over to America I went on a um I went on Jocko Willink's podcast. People magazine were doing interviews with me and you know, it was like you know the stocks have arrived sort of thing. And and my publishers were like I sort of told them about these these uh, marketing opportunities and they weren't really interested because it'd been 18 months since the book had come out. So my wife being the entrepreneur and the philanthropist, you know the book hadn't been launched in the US, so we bought the rights from our publisher for USA and Canada, and we re- and then we redesigned the book cover. You know, Five Eleven did the book cover for us, but then we got influencers that the American audience would recognize. So Jocko, Admiral McRaven, Bear Grylls, uh, because ones that we had in UK people weren't aware of. So we sort of gave it a, a, a lick of paint, as we would say, a new cover. Because the cover you have there with me holding the mini me yeah. with all the yeah, I mean, it's around my neck. You know, you wouldn't get away with that in the UK. No, you have to have I a little mean, bit of a different, more approach. Yeah, a bit more different. And I mean, also people weren't buying the book. People weren't buying the book in the UK from the psychic community because it looked like a Special Forces book. So we, you know, so we had, we watermarked the, the bike on the, on the front cover of this one as well because there's a huge community there of cyclists. Well, it makes and, sense. Also, and I mean, fitness it goes both ways. You can almost yeah. have like a reflecting cover where it's like one of them is you as a cycle and then when the sun hits it, it's like, you with your gear and you're just like you can like yeah. pause it in the middle yeah. and get half of you on a bike with your gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the book Relentless is almost like three there's three main phases. There's my childhood in the military. I do stop on selection, you know, I don't go into the special forces stuff just purely because trying to protect my my brethren there. And then the private security stuff, you know, actually it was more, I did more sensitive jobs as a private security guy than I did in the special forces. You know, we touched on someone on here, you know, single-handedly evacuating embassies, but you know, there's other stories in there which are great. And then the final third is the bite ride. Everything I'd mm-hmm. learned from the first two, 
into the bright rides. Well, Dean, I think that you're awesome. And I think uh, you're, you're <laughs> fabulous. And all of those wonderful words that I could say, I'm happy that you, you <laughs> guys you. wanted to come on the show and, and talk about life and, you know, yeah. and your book and just pushing forward and uh, persevering. Uh, you know, we all have lived through COVID and we've all seen the world shut down and it's time to just restart our engines and get going. Exactly. No, no, exactly. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you at the All right. It sounds like a plan. And so I'm going to let you go yeah. back to your busy day today. And I appreciate you for this last hour. And I just want to give a shout out again to Brandon Webb for having me as the ambassador for Soft Rep and letting me do these podcasts. I really appreciated the opportunity to talk to guys like Dean and I really appreciate the SBS and uh, the SAS and uh, all the UK brethren over there that have that are our allies and all allies around the world. We thank you. So from me and on behalf of Dean, I'm saying peace from Soft Rep Radio. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.